Hello and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Angela Pearson. I'm Matt Brooks. And I'm Paul Tanter. We are honoured to be joined this week by a very special guest, a comedian and writer who was at the cutting edge of alternative comedy in the 1980s. A regular compere at the Comedy Store, he performed on Saturday Live and fellow stand-up Sean Locke once described him as the comedian's comedian. He's a man with a face you can't forget mainly because he's popped up in pretty much all of our favourite childhood TV shows and Grange Hill. His comedy CV <laughs> includes playing characters in The Young Ones, The Comic Strip Presents, Filthy Rich and Catflap, Colin Sandwich and Rab C. Nesbitt. He appeared in not one, not two, but three series of Blackadder, and he's even been in French and Saunders. Apparently Lenny and Aid were furious. We loved his snivelling portrayal of Lister's paranoia and Red Dwarf, but many listeners will know him best as the Lamb and Flag's parasitic pub landlord, dickhead. Mr Lee Corns, welcome and thank you for joining us. We're thrilled to have you here talking bottom with us today. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here and honoured. Have I really done all that stuff? (laughs) Apparently. Well Lee, what, and I'll repeat that, what made you want to become an actor and where did you train? Uh, I didn't train uh, and it shows. No, I'm (laughs) sod self-effacement. I was always interested in comedy and at university where I went to study science and geography set up a, a review group, went to Edinburgh, and actually we were the first from Birmingham in the early 70s to do that. And I thought, I like this. Mm. And then uh, when I moved to London and trained as a teacher, which was ostensibly a second career, you know, very useful too, mm. uh, the comedy store opened up and Peter Rosengard was auditioning via the Evening Standard to go into his insurance office. And I turned up and did a, a sketch from the university days, which is a very silly thing, like a man who's got talking about rabies who gets rabies while he's talking and (laughs) splutters and all the rest of it and then that was that and then me Alexi and all the others uh, Mm. turned up over time at the comedy store in Mead Street in the old uh, strip club and it's always ironic to me that alternative comedy was kind of financed basically by strip money you know Mm. the uh, very (laughs) (laughs) it's actually Raymond's review bar was the comic strip and then Mm. Um, Don Ward, you know, it was quite interesting. Yeah. It was a great time. And then the comedy store grew and I think out of that came alternative. Although, to be fair to Tony Allen and other people, Andy de Tour, they did have a touring group called the Alternative Cabaret. Mm. Um, around that time, I can't really remember the dates. Mm. I was never part of that, but I know Lexi was, I think um, Keith Allen was, mm. um, Jim Barkley. And so that was definitely much a, a solidifying thing, which, again, out of which came... But the comedy store, I think, made it more public in a way. Mm. And they were doing good work that way. If it wasn't work as such, but it was certainly comedy with an edge which did not rely on the old standard forms. Absolutely. The, yeah. the alternative comedy scene was, was born, it seems, in the history of um, the comedy store. And when you, you auditioned for the comedy store, right? You, well, you answered an advert. Office, yeah. yeah, an advert in the evening standard. And people went to his office and uh, he asked me to shut up because, you know, it was his office and there were people in the office. I mean, I have to fess up. I did some quite strange and what would be down quite dodgy stuff in the early days because it was just like anything to do uh, with getting uh, doing sketches, which were, you know, sort of stupid and all the rest mm. of it. But, and this was uh, 1979. Uh, yeah, 1979. Right. And if you want to know, it was really seeing Keith Allen uh-huh. doing what's called what we call the AA Man Salute at the old Albany Empire, which, well, absolutely knocked me away you know okay I mean, for me that was a turning point what was that just accent? him doing what he wanted to do okay. and say what he wanted to say which was not overtly necessarily political but just angry and you know, he's just brilliant it was one of the best live things i've ever seen i mean i was impressionable and ready for that mm-hmm. and uh, he was definitely a catalyst of all that as, as all the others were really but yeah. um, and you you were obviously doing sketch 
around well, that with you? Yeah, kind of stuff yeah. and then jokes and uh, just finding my feet, really. But it was the idea of, actually, you can say what you like mm. on stage, which you know, I knew it could, but he, he demonstrated... Yeah, he. I mean, as I remember, he started off. There was a bed on stage, and uh, nobody knew where he was. And the lights go down. He gets up, and he starts bollock naked. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and I've done that on stage now. Start bollock naked in the Wow Show and various other shows. It's good. It's very liberating. <laughs> Just like if you do that, you you know you you. Well, you're fearless. Fearless. Yeah, absolutely fearless. That's I mean, what I enjoyed about that. Yeah, that... and I wouldn't say I'm fearless. I'm more, but you know, it was just giving you the confidence of being brave enough to mm. do what you wanted to do, even if it was shit. Mm. And prior <laughs> to that, then, who were your comedy influences as you were growing up? Well, my greatest influence was Max Wall. You see, mm-hmm. don't like that because he was a very visual comedian. I actually like a lot of visual comedians, which is why Rick, I think, was really a brilliant visual comedian and you know in the young ones and bottom his visual comedy whether with stunts or just his physical you know physicality i think remains you know he's a clown absolutely clown his eyebrow can make you laugh yeah i've seen him do it yeah there's one eyebrow up yeah and also his hands if you notice his which very much like Jacques Tati, and I think that was an influence for him. And not that he studied it, I know it was for Rowan Atkinson. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the physical comedy I've always enjoyed, I mime as well, uh, Marceau and things like that. But And I did do a bit of mime as a, as a course when I was studying as a teacher, and it was it was really... And I like to do comedy, and my, mm-hmm. my favourite routines have been comedy, and with it's virtually uh, been kind of physical stuff, which I don't kind of do anymore. Like, can't get the mic right, messing about, tripping up, and doing all sorts of daft stuff in order to not have to remember stuff and just piss about. And the Wow <laughs> Show that I was involved in was very much a physical theatre thing, you know, knocking each yeah, other tell, about. Tell us a bit about the Wow Show then, because I have to say I've not seen any. Or was it on the radio and only live that you ever did the Wow two Show? Series of radio, and there's not much of it about. Mm. It was well known at the time in the situation, and we came close to getting a TV series, but didn't via Granada. I think we were either considered too unpredictable because the, the theatre shows were, you know, we took people out in the, or, uh, in the street and we messed around with them, got them on stage. And I think it was considered, and I may be wrong, you need to ask Paul about that, that this was not translatable to TV. But then Andy Harris tried to do uh, a version of Ronan Martin's Laughing, which was an American show, which is a lot of comedians popping out and doing little sketches. Uh, a lot of them were people who were very new to stand-up and television. Mm-hmm. And... It sounds arrogant when it's not, but us lot had done a reasonable amount of telly so he could do it, you know. Mm. And so we did a lot of sketches and, and they were very, he was so pleased with that. He said, we'll give us a pilot script, but it didn't go. But on the other hand, Paul Jackson did put us on Saturday Live and, you know, his courage was to put on a sketch which involved live something from the audience which looked as though it's going to be open up into a fight <laughs> and nobody, nobody but the cameraman and, and um, he and us knew. And it was a great theatre moment you could tell the audience which were went hushed and it was a show it was a thing we used to do on the um the theatre mm. so so that was good so very physical but we met up because there was a thing called the news review which i think still goes yep. um, yeah and we all met there steve and mark and paul had all gone to i think the guild hall and i just knew through a friend who's doing it and we met up doing this thing which we didn't really like because it was sketch blackout sketch blackout political stuff you know stuff that we didn't really get off on and so we went away and thought let's just break all that down not in any kind of science way but let's have more fun with comedy and then it became this kind of rather 
anarchic mm. show. It was the best times I've ever had on stage, you know, no question. Who were you performing with in the Wow show then? There were three guys. One, Steve Frost, who you, mm. most people will know one way or another. Ready Aim Fire. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Mark Arden, mm -hmm. who was also his double act partner in a very, very fine double act called The Oblivion Boys, who were on Boom Boom Won't Go the Right Lights, actually. Mm. And were best known in that double act format as the Carling Black Label ad guys. That's right. Which yeah. did about several years of those, yeah. I think. Mm. And then a third act called uh, Paul Mark Elliott, who also came, I think he was a couple of years younger than them from Guildhall, who's a great live performer. Mm. Us, us four. I was reading in the book, there's a book about that period called Didn't You Kill My Mother-in-Law, yeah. uh, in which Peter Rosengard tells the story of when he was setting up the comedy store that he'd put out the adverts in the evening standard for yeah. auditions. And he tells this story that, that he'd had a sort of succession of Butlin's red coats and lots of people who who their friends told them they were very funny after eight pints in the pub. And he was getting ready to give up on the whole idea and was getting very despondent until you came in and did the audition that you mentioned earlier where you did two mimes. Were you aware that you basically sort of saved the day in his eyes? He, oh, well. He, he sort of cites you and, and Alexi Sale as the two things that really sort of put the wind back in his sails. I, I've got that, but I, haven't, I must read it and highlight all those passages. <laughs> <laughs> I was unaware he went that far. I know he's written a book, actually, in right. which he said something similar, that it was just a relief that I, yeah, it was not, not a mime sketch. It was a diarrhea sketch and a right. rabies sketch, like right. a, you know, real undergrad stuff. But it was, you know, it was silly. Yeah. And uh, Alexi came fully formed and was bloody brilliant straight away. I was unaware that I was, you know, there's a, he was about to give up, that the kind of uh, response he got was an old fashioned kind of comedian. But in fact, he had to rely on some of those when the comedy store opened because there weren't enough of like undergrad comedians yeah. like Rick, you know, and Ben. I mean, that's what we were really, not alternative comedians as such at that time. And indeed Alexi, I guess, because he was a, uh, an art graduate you know mm. art school graduate so there were those kind of guys did turn up occasionally and and do a gig and to fill out the the actual stages it were mm. all the all the list of acts there were some very strange acts which yeah were brilliant and you never saw them again and <laughs> yeah very off the wall and i think it, to his credit he went for those as well as <laughs> so it's very strange atmosphere in those days do you remember your first gig there i mean i, I realized that uh when you're when you're first performing somewhere you might not you, at the time you might not be thinking well in 30 years i'll be asking answering questions about the particular venue but was there a sort of sense of that place that there, there was something new and exciting kind of going on around it uh, not really because it was very shambolic right. and threatening and you know gonged off yeah. and, and no audiences some hardly any audiences and it was just something to do and at the time it was on like midnight and they didn't pay or whatever so i always went on early yeah. a to get it over and done with because you know you're <laughs> half terrified and b to get the last tube home down in stockwell because i couldn't afford a cab and so <laughs> it was you know quite a sex area you know there yeah. were brothels and things and so it, it was it, it was great looking yeah. back just because of the <laughs> <laughs> Innocent sort of Hastings boy go to uh, this area and the rest of it, but um, did you ever miss the last tube and had to dive into one of the brothels or <laughs> no? Yeah, just as a place to spend the night. Yeah. I read in an interview with Joe Brand, she said that uh, she also cited you as one of her favourite comedians and said that she she saw you at the comedy store once doing the same act in the second half as you did in the first half, purely because you wanted to see how drunk the audience was and if they would notice. 
Yeah, there was there's a bit of mischief to that. I mean, Nick Hancock quotes that as well, and it was really just for the. I mean, what you must remember: the comedy store was not like it is now. People queued up, you know, desperate, like in America, you know, big, thriving. This it was sometimes hot nights, half filled, you know, hard work, long hours. You did two shows on a Saturday, well, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, and so to just to do something different, I thought, hey, watch this. I'll just do the same opening intro and. Um, See what happens. Yeah. And of course, the comedians are chuckling away. And the audience are going, he's just done that. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, so in a way, it was yeah. It was not ironic. It was just a <laughs> just stupid thing to do. But I could see, I was doing it because the audience were laughing until someone said, mate, you've, you've done that. I was going to just carry on. And I went, have I? <laughs> yeah. So it was a wind-up. Yeah. It just yeah. did a compact wind-up thing. You know, there was Actually, I used to do... I used to do an act which was like a really failed um, kind of compare. And then this was at the tunnel, the famous tunnel. And uh, afterwards, the guy said, that was terrible, mate. You know, terrible. I said, yeah, but you don't understand it. It was meant to be. And he went, yeah, but it was terrible. <laughs> because of, I kind of thought, he's right. <laughs> it's not really ironic. If you yeah. do a terrible act, it's a terrible act whether yeah, you're really clever yeah. about it. I guess he kind of spurned on by the other comedians to do what is alternative. So like, were you trying to aim for the the alternative thing or you know that horrible Jim Davison Jim Davison said the old alternative comedy is the alternative to comedy yeah well that was it but I mean, you'd it be was the cunt and the wife so fucking there was, it was inevitable there was going to be a, a very strong reaction to it look at anything kind of left wing or socialist or whatever but uh, don't forget it was the, I mean this bloody few years apart you know the decade of Thatcher and we were you know it really pissed people off under the, me and it was a genuine thing what she was doing to the country and it was like, well, now you can say something about that on stage. Mm. So it wasn't we all sat together. I mean, there was a lot of ambition in the early days. I could see it in the eyes of many of the comedians who've come. And fair enough, because if you're good, you're good. You know, that, that's that's when you should get the rewards from it. There was a sensibility, which was, yeah, we kind of shared the same thing. There was no kind of manifesto. Mm. But the, the political circumstance, the miners strike, you know, and there's still a civil war in Northern Ireland, effectively. So... It wasn't. It wasn't cosy. So you, you wanted to say something about that, even though the jokes were often quite See, obvious. I, w I will just jump in there because I'm, I'm remembering is the dear and departed Simon Brint from Raw Sex and Roland River, much missed. We had some fun on stage. We were actually we were the support for Nigel Planer when he did Neil a tour. Oh. That, was a, that was a laugh. When of course he he went off used the Neil character to do a, a tour and oh, had a record out and all that. Yeah, so we were a support actors, Dickie Valentino and Raw Sex. That's think. right. So you were the uh, you were a Dickie talent Valentino. manager. Yeah, yeah. That was he your talk like this, you yeah. know. He's uh, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what did you get up to on tour with them? Then any memorable nights well, out? You should read Roland's uh, bio autobiography. Mm -hmm. stuff. No, just stuff, boy <laughs> stuff, and um, the money wasn't really there. We we're in like bed and breakfasts that obviously were very provincial. In middle of nowhere, and I don't think they quite knew what they were getting with. Yeah, because we liked to drink, and Roland was good fun. We pissed and used to play pranks on Nigel, and he was never very pleased. In fact, at one point, he just moved out. Cause <laughs> <laughs> but it's all all stuff. Uh, the shows went well, though. It was great, I and mean, we did the um, Hammersmith uh, Apollo. Yeah, I think, and that was good. So, yeah, so that was just to bring in Simon Brinks. I forgot his name, which is absolutely appalling of me. Like the the audiences were they much more kind of 
reactionary as well because of what you were doing obviously you were talking about you didn't think about it as alternative comedy but whether yeah. the audience is really responding to what you were yeah yeah and don't forget that the comedy store set up by peter rosengard and don ward was a model on the american one which the, it was called the gong show you know the people were gonged off so a very vital part of that is not just loads of comedians wherever they came from it was were they good enough to withstand heckling and then for Alexia, whoever is the compare, to gong them off. And he would, you know. And so it was terrifying to your pressure from, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's in my opinion, why Ben Elton's got that ratata. I'm sure he'd agree, a ratatat style. It's to not let anybody in. Right. We all mm -hmm. rushed. Because, you, you know, you come on 1,000 miles an hour to just prevent any kind of gaps where someone go, rubbish, or whatever. And, in fact, a story about Ben once when... I was there. I can't remember. I wasn't a compare. Anyway, there wasn't a compare. And they said, Ben, can you just go on? And he said, oh, all right. And there was no pressure. And he slowed down. And, you know, it, it was terrific. He, You know, he didn't need that kind of persona because he's actually a lovely, sweet guy. He didn't need to do that aggression, which is why it can sometimes jar a bit. But he was the, he was the right man in the right place and saying the right things. You know, I do. I admired what he did. There was that pressure. And it wasn't, and I, I mean, you know, you'd go home either devastated because you went badly for your five or ten minutes yeah that or elated because you went well and then starting getting depressed and worried because you know it's coming up next week will it be you know you're only as good as your last gig so there was a lot yeah it was a kind of anxiety making time like gigs like the tunnel with the dear old malcolm hardy you know it was, it was a bear pit uh, the comedy store of course was where you met uh, the then young fledgling producer paul jackson do you remember meeting him he was obviously in the audience because he saw Ricky did Behind the Green Door, Boom Boom Out, Got the Lights. So I must have, I must have met him because, in fact, as I remember it, I was down to do Boom Boom Out, Got the Lights, but I couldn't make it because I was on an ad shoot, and that made the money, thank you. Yeah. And so I must have met him. I met him mostly through the young ones. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and Rick and all that lot. Once you you knew you knew you were part of that crowd, you were getting all these shows that you mentioned you know all bit parts which was all very handy yeah, yeah. very lucky really yeah what? we wanted to know whether you had to audition for those or was it much a case of no, once you'd done a no, few you yeah. were you were called up when um, there was a new role happening i didn't audition for any of them i don't think which was nice i mean certainly blackadder you know mm. would have known in you come because mm. there's only small parts you know why would you audition the only thing i did audition for i think was red dwarf but i auditioned for rimmer mm. But I got in there and I thought it was for the other part. He said, no, no. I thought, oh, okay. And so I read for Rimmer, prepared it, but I, I looked the same size as Chris. You know, yeah. Chris was the man, as it's proved. Uh, but to, again, Paul and Ed's credit, and uh, I was shortlisted along with Norman Lovett, actually, mm -hmm. and a couple of others. And they said, you've got this far. We, we will give you a part at some point. And it came up as paranoia and um norman got holly so yeah the, the loyalty there was a loyalty there yeah, yeah. and i've always admired uh, paul and ed for that and they've got me in for other i mean i've done other stuff uh, with, with ed and paul yeah which is you know, not related to the, strictly the comedy thing mm. with my family with rob Lindsay, you know, come in and do it lee mm. you know i mean it's brilliant really and my nice family was the comedy wasn't it sorry <laughs> Oops. Don't know. Sorry, I mean, the comedies you have been talking about. I understand. Well, it was great. So various other bits and bobs as well. So, yeah, very. very well, you've let you've leapt ahead to Red Dwarf. Should we talk about Red Dwarf while we're on it? Well, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just to ask, then, you auditioned for Rimmer, but you you thought you were going for Lister. What happened there? Were you given the wrong script? 
correct or no i just got it wrong i've done <laughs> i've had done that before actually i know no, no, it's that one i can't remember why that was no no it wasn't oh i didn't prepare therefore i didn't get no not at all not at all they, the right guy got the job didn't they? there's no there's no big deal actually because at the time forget not now all these series on and it's a mega hit at the time, it was almost a pilot. Mm -hmm. And when we did it, there's four bobs spent on it up in Manchester with a no-studio audience show, and it was very, very cut tight. And if it hadn't made any impact, it would have got cut. Because there's a story which uh, links to that about um, Blackadder, which was John Lloyd's production, mm -hmm. in which the first series, I wasn't in the first, the very first series with Brian Blessett, and, yeah, yeah. in which they spent loads of money on it, and... You know, that was castles and horses and things like that. Lots of exterior shooting. Yeah, lots of exterior yeah. shooting. And um, it cost so much and the impact was so li little that the BBC apparently, so John kind of hinted at that they said, well, you can have another series, but you can do it on six bob. Yeah. Not under, you know. And so they put their heads together and, and reduced it to a studio sitcom. Yeah, three sets, minimal cast, yeah. And made the writing work. Because mm. he said to me, he said, yeah, I realised how naive I was because you, you're paying for a, a guy on a horse to run out of a castle, see him run along a field, then see him arrive, get off the horse and then go, and then the comedy starts. Yeah. What were we thinking? <laughs> so in a sense, you know, there's that pressure, economic pressure on this new fringy kind of stuff to get it right and to get it done cheaply. Yeah. So that's that was Red Dwarf. It was it was not going to be, oh, this is going to be a success. You're lucky to be in on the beginning. Mm. Yeah, I was, but it wasn't considered at that point. Obviously, there was no foresight. Mm. Yeah. It and gathered then, its own steam. Had you worked with Rob Grant and Doug Naylor before at that point? No. No, no first time I met them. And had you, did you meet your rivals at the auditions then, Chris Barry and Craig Charles? Yeah, I knew Chris very well, yeah, because he yeah. was at the comedy store doing yeah. impressions. Mm. No friends, you know, no mm. it was, no problem. Well, because he got the part and then went off and then it was, you know, it wasn't scheduled to be shown for some months and I... Wasn't there a break in the series productions as well? I don't I believe know. so, yeah. So and anyway, it's, you know, yeah. people get jobs and I got yeah. other jobs. I got Grain Chill for a number of years. I mean, you know, it was not, there's no, I promise you, no, <laughs> no none at all. Good man. You thought you were going to audition for Lister, but actually you were up for Rimmer. Which of those roles would you have preferred? If, mm. it, it, let's say they both have been offered to you. Which one would you have taken? Probably Rimmer, actually, because I think, yeah, yeah the, Lister needs to be a, a lad, doesn't he? Right. I mean, right. they got, yeah. I could certainly see you as Rimmer in another alternate reality. I could yeah, definitely sure. see it would work. Maybe it's still time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and your opposite in that in that uh, episode was Craig Ferguson playing Confidence. Yes, indeed. Yeah, um, and he uh, went off to America. Well, he's a big host show, show with yeah. Yeah. all the white teeth and all the style and pizzazz you can imagine. <laughs> Did America ever ever tempt you? Did you ever consider going over there and? Well, I, what would I offer America? I was never asked. To... <laughs> well, you know, there's a, isn't that the sort of tradition of British actors going over there to play the butler in sitcoms and things? Well, I think I was actually reading about Idris Elba and about how he just took a punt and went out there. And yeah, yeah. Got nothing till he got the why. You know, I mean, I think you risk everything. Uh, Rome went out there and was not well received. Mm. You can't just turn up. You. Oh no! You've got to you've got to be absolutely dedicated. I, I don't think I'd have anything yeah. to. I mean, I think the one thing that would maybe a bit of comedy, but you know, the, the, America is the home of all forms of comedy, and you no never. That said, we took the Wow Show to New York in nineteen eighty early. There was um, the dear departed Ruth Polsky who came over to to book punk bands in the eighties to take to this massive New York 
place called the Danceteria, which is on like three or four floors, and they've got a theatre, well, like a, a cinema and dance, and then music. Yeah. And she happened to see us at the gate at Latchmere and took us over. And we had to lie about green cards and all this. And we met John Otway there, and he became part of the Wow Show in one show when we came back. And so we did it, and they they loved it, you know. But there was nobody there saying, hey, Wow Show, right. off you go. Yeah. It didn't matter anyway. Did so you we, find the American crowd different at all to crowds you'd played here? or? Yeah, well, yeah. in a way, they, they were bemused because it was also midnight in two. So you did one hour, 12 to 1, and then like three till four. Can you imagine? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, running around, and it was just a wild and anarchic thing, which suited us. I don't really remember everyone going, "Hey, you're genius." They were just, we would just did it, you know, mm. and had great fun. So yeah, we did conquer New York, yes, <laughs> for two nights. <laughs> we had great fun. But you never went over to the comedy store over in no, America no, no, never? never, never thought to go to a. I mean, we had no time while we were over there, and I had been to New York. No, actually, I don't. So I was comparing, and not just at the store. There was um, way back then. Well, there were hardly any venues that didn't open. They only opened at the weekend, obviously mm. for obvious reasons. But there was a place called the Hemingford Arms in Hampstead, which opened on a Tuesday. And I, and Nick Revel, and various others variously did comparing, and it was a good little gig. Actually, it had its own little audience. But it was a Tuesday gig, and then I turn up, and then. Uh, I forget, the guy's name was Lawrence, I can't remember his surname. And he was so excited, he said, you'll never guess who you're going to have to introduce, you'll never guess. Said, oh, Alexi, I don't know. He said, no, Robin fucking Williams. <laughs> he just stepped off the plane to do a Royal Highness gig thing. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Prince's Trust thing or whatever. And at being the pro he was, it was, give me a gig, let me anglicise my act. And this was the only gig available. He turns up. Kit Hollaback, who was formerly married to Jeremy Hardy, who's an American, mm. did it, introduced a lot of impro techniques and things to the store. She helped set up the store players. She was there. She'd gone out briefly with Robin Williams. So can you make it? Hey, <laughs> hey, Robin. <laughs> and of course, so I just glazed up. And of course, the buzz was in there in the audience. It was only a small pub back of the pub. Robin Williams. He's like, what the? F <laughs> and he was, of course, unbelievable for like 40 minutes and people just exhausted yeah. and then in locked the bar and just chatted and chatted it was great he enjoyed it so much they opened up the bar just for him the next night and wow. uh, said oh nick you go and did compare him did some poor sod then have to follow him after he'd come off uh and then someone had to there was another act lined up interval right oh, okay <laughs> everyone calm down okay. yeah, yeah. but i will brag because apparently his agent said you're funny lee but he didn't say where it would sign you up, <laughs> which is great. You know, in the end, it was just a well, wow, yeah. what was tragic end, but uh, yeah. So that was me, Robin Williams story. But that's amazing. That's the American also. Like I'm, I'm lazy. You know, just get by. And, yeah, but you know, you on it, on it, on it, like the best of them are really. Mm. Yeah. So I, th I think he, I think Robin Williams played uh, the comedy store a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are pictures of him. Yeah, yeah. he did, yeah. yeah. Right. No, I think if similar, maybe he just turned up, kind of. Yeah. He did some sort of student union gig as well towards towards the end. Mm. As well, a similar sort of story, just, yeah. He just turns, yeah, I want to I wanna perform. Yeah. And, uh, mm. Brilliant. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, there aren't any videos of your act at the comedy store, are there? They're lost no, to the I got them, of time. No, uh, I got all deleted. <laughs> and, uh, had to blackmail yeah. some people what about the no, nude stuff so. on stage is there a video of you naked on stage that's what we want <laughs> <laughs> no i'm naked on joe brand show 
That's that's why you're her favourite comedian. <laughs> no, I remember. I think I remember she's doing. Remember she did a sketch show. Yeah. And she said, oh, "We need someone naked. Oh, we'll get Lee in." <laughs> yeah. And then Jack D and Jeremy Hardy did Jack and Jeremy's. Show. Yeah. And they said, "Well, we need someone to bend over." <laughs> and get you, Lee in. And and you were the tooting flasher in Toast of London. You, yes. It, are you seeing a sort of slight typecasting? I'll go where the work is. <laughs> in the comic strip presents as well, you played Arch yes. Triple Dick, yes. and he's not quite naked, but Could nearly. Yeah. And with like yeah. It's, maybe there's boobs a on the bike, and all kinds of amazing character that slime all over. Yeah, yeah. Is right. that why? Obviously, people can't see this, but uh, you know, is that why you've turned up naked today? <laughs> I hope you don't mind. <laughs> That's okay. I was just trying to maintain eye contact. <laughs> One of the best gags in the Wow Show involved uh, me being naked very quickly in the wax the idea was i'm not in the show because i've been banned this is in the theater full theater edinburgh festival and the three of them are doing it and i'm banned because i'm always getting cock out <laughs> it's just like just, you're not having it go no yeah and so i come in and, and disrupt it and, and, and they say if you're all right you can be in the show mate but you don't get your cock out i promise <laughs> promise i will not shout it out i will not get my cock out <laughs> I said, right. And it goes on. And then I there's a think, no, like I might be perceived as, and then that's it. And then it's forgotten. And yeah. the second half, we do a, um, a, this is your life spoof. And there's two sort of flats that we, Steve and I are doing all these characters and we hide behind and change and it gets more and more stupid. And then there's an argument between uh, the Eamon Andrews character played by uh, Mark and Paul, who's the guy who's the character of whose life's been investigated, and they have a fight, and he pulls something off the flat, and I falls down. Of course, I'm naked because I'm changing, and they just go, "What do you think?" I said, "Yeah, but I no." It was funny because in the first night, it was pulling my trousers up, my pants up, as though I'm embarrassed, and then after that, no, we just stand there arguing while I'm completely naked. <laughs> going, no, stop it. So there's no. <laughs> It's very funny. Yeah. Shock laughter like that, though. Like you can't really beat it from <laughs> in in live in the room yeah. where it works. You know. Yeah, that's you... one of the things. That's, if that's that's just written down, Surprise. that's yeah. You know, whatever. It, to see that, it's you can't write it in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just just yeah. It is it? funny. Yeah, and the way the way the Wow Show worked is quite often. It was if you do like Edinburgh Festival, and it was two or three weeks that. You know, people who liked us would love to see the early sh very shambolic shows mm. and then they would tighten up as we just played along with each other and things expanded or whatever it was it was that was what was fun about it because it was never quite the same per night and uh, we had fun doing it and mm. by the end of it it was this very slick funny show yeah, <laughs> yeah we take the audience out with all like you say, you weren't rivals with acts on the circuit at the time. No, you were well, friend, I, I never friends with pretty much everyone, I imagine. Well, there was this moment actually when I was asked to go. The prestigious thing, Peter Richardson uh, had uh, worked, uh, set up the with Paul Raymond Review Bar, the comic strip. Mm. He saw what could happen with this. Uh, I don't think he had the best relationship with Paul Jackson, but anyway, he went off and did set that up. And that became a much more like a slick cabaret and became very, very popular. And it was quite a thing to be invited to be one of the guests because there was mm. the regular team of French Saunders, you know, the uh, Dangerous Brothers and Lexi and um, him with the, Nigel, I can't remember the name. Uh, oh, Outer, Outer Limits. Limits. Outer yeah. Limits. So and then there were guests and I did a, an indifferent kind of thing. And I remember thinking, you know, you wanted to be on it. you wanted, to, And I thought, well, it sounds a bit zen, but I thought you, know, you can either let jealousy consume you and just go around getting upset and I, you know or <laughs> just get on yeah. with it you know I really didn't think 
it was worth it. And and people were more ambitious than I ever was, I think. Mm. I think in the end you've got to... And I, I knew who were ambitious and who would make it, and they did, you know, mm. fair play, not, not a problem. And were you aware of, you know, so obviously Sean Locke said that you were his main influence. Um, were you aware of that at, at the time? Well, we, we yeah, I know, I loved, I loved Sean's act. I mean, I just bloody loved his act. Um, he liked mine. And we actually did a couple of gigs as a double act, um, which, you know, I thought that, that might be fun because... I still don't feel that my best stuff is on my own. I'm, I love being on, in a team. Because uh, no, I was going to ask you that because there were a lot of duos at the time, of course, you know, yeah, with Nigel Planer and Rick and Aid, of course. Yeah. So what was it that sort of held you back from doing the duo thing or was it just you went into the sketch that well, side I did, on the I WOW did show? The WOW show was mm. thing, and I, I had done a couple of things with Steve Frost and that mm. was fun because, you know, we know each other pretty well. But it was, yeah, I think I, I've kind of retired in a way. I don't really have any ambition to... Mm. To go back, there, there's a guy down my way who asked if I wanted to do some of the gigs he did, and I did them. I realized, you know, out of sync, really. And you've got to realize you go on stage now and you look like everyone's grandfather. So, what you're going to do, you're going to do sassy, you mm. come what you think. You just look, I know there's one comedian, <laughs> you could get your cock out, I can <laughs> <laughs> but it's not what it was, you see. <laughs> Like most, no. So one one comedian who came back, still a crowd pleaser, surely. <laughs> Some years later, when I was just finishing at the comedy store, and he basically did his same act, yeah. and the ones were just nonplussed. It, it just looked mm. out of sync. Not that he shouldn't have done it, but it didn't mean anything really. Comedy has to keep developing, so you know you, you want to keep yourself creative in order to, mm. to and you have to want to be there that's the other thing with stand up you have to want to do it you can't not i mean they'll smell it on you yeah. and i was i wasn't sure i wanted to and i think you know it wasn't it wasn't i wasn't enjoying it and if you don't enjoy your comedy you you're going to fail mm. and that's why a lot of actors you know say i don't know you can do comedy cuz you know they've got a script there's something to hide behind but as we know with the stand-up, you, you can't. So you have to really be wanting to do it. Mm. I used to do things that, I think the other comedians, like I'd do things which would, because I was bored with my material, rather than write new material, I'd deconstruct it. So I could do a routine really involved and go, I, where did I park my car? <laughs> <laughs> where, where did I park? Came by train. Right, came by train. <laughs> what was the saying? And you know, yeah. like, I, I think that's what they like, Sean. Fucking around with the format in a way, and sometimes go, oh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and sometimes, once there was a guy, a big bouncer guy at the tram shed, I said, whatever it is, twenty minutes, you just come on, say, get off my stage. I've told you, get off my stage. Just do that, and I'll get off. And so, right, full flow, get off my stage. Sorry, was I sorry, mate? Yeah, sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Fucking hell, and then ran off, and that was it. <laughs> so it was a theatre kind of wow showy moments of, of just, just that, yep, 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 was was never the full quid for me. Yes. So in those comedy store days, do you remember the first time you saw Rick and Aid? Were they on stage? Do you remember, or did you meet them off stage? Or uh, we, well, we never knew each other off stage. The, the first thing that happened at the comedy store, I remember now, was an audition in the place, hmm. and so we were all sitting there quite nervous, and Alexi was there and fully formed. You know, he got me go, wow. Yeah. Funny, different, hilarious. Got it, and he got that aggression thing, which really worked for the store to hold an audience mm -hmm. together. Anybody weaker than that would have. I don't think Aiden Rick worked that way. Anyway, and then various people. Bob Flag was there, and uh, I think Arnold Brown, and 
Uh, and then it was, you know, you were invited back to perform. And then they came and uh, you could just, he just had it. He was doing his Vanessa poems and, and then <laughs> Aid was, it was again that disruption thing of, yeah. he's not just performing, he's disrupting the environment he's creating and fucking, fucking around with it, like, with, like he does in uh, Bottom and, and mm. in uh, The Young Ones. And that's the anarchy of the comedy, if you like, just the unpredictability, even if it's not necessarily saying anything, yeah. it's just playing with the form. Uh, which is rare, actually. You know, it, the crowd it, in the room love it. Yeah, yeah, it feels like, unique. Well, the, the idea of the Wow Show is to get the laugh by creating tension. You know, I mean, not that sounds scientific. It's like because if you if like shouting boo to a kid or whatever, you know, or a horror is a slow build up and then boo. You know, mm. so what we do is is the audience. I mean, for the Wow Show, for instance, that breakdown would sometimes look like we're all going to actually start fighting each other on stage, and the show's gone to nothing because it's just broken down. And the audience believed it. I mean, I remember Dawn French once said, on the lad to me, she said, I bloody hated the Welsh show because it felt like I was the only one who was not in on the joke. Everyone <laughs> felt threatened by what we were doing. And then you release it. That was this mm. thing we did for Saturday Live. It was like a cult thing called EBT, you know, the um, EST thing. And then we get a member from the audience and start touching him, you know, it's bollocks, and, and he gets angry. <laughs> and so I'm going to... And of course the audience is going, oh, this is going wrong. <laughs> And uh, and then he takes and then he goes thank you like trainer and he realizes oh he's one of them <laughs> and it's a massive laugh because you've re you've released that yeah. that build up of tension which really even the jokes that you know mm. the the setup is the build up of the story if you like yeah, yeah. and then you get the release in the laugh yeah it sounds a bit f scientific it's not really but Rick was doing that all the time and he, he just had that energy I mean if you see bottom the energy is pouring out of him to perform like that is extraordinary which is why aid's so good because there's a yin and yang mm. you know if if aid had been that manic it wouldn't have worked would it it's just naturally a kind of yeah resonance. the more you watch rick and aid i think you see the beauty in what aid's doing that, which uh, is yes. allowing rick yeah to do what he's doing fantastically but aid is is reacting in exactly the way he needs to yeah um yeah and yeah. The, the, did you watch them do the dangerous brothers yeah. much then yeah Every night. Yeah. What did you think of their act at the Brilliant. beginning? Hilarious. Oh, you... funny. You know, he was great to watch. And don't forget, you'd see him on screen or in a theatre, but this was a small room. And, you know, and the stage was right on top of the audience, effectively. So it was very powerful. It was, mm. it was immense. Yeah. And so Paul Jackson came in there and um, the young ones sort of spawned from that whole thing. You were the warm-up uh, man on the young ones for the recordings of the episodes, right? Um, you were the warm-up act. Second yeah. series, yeah. he asked me to do the warm-up, but I was not very successful at it because there's a, there's a skill to that, okay. a real skill to that. I mean, is that sort of a totally different discipline to comparing somewhere like the comedy store? Then? Yeah, because it's not comparing. It's right. just filling holes, yeah, you know, literally. Yeah. It's just keeping them bemused. And the best at it do it really well. Uh, I learned to do it quite well, but it wasn't what I really wanted to do in a way, mm. you know, in it. I mean, I was disappointed because I remember I was, I think we are on the way to Edinburgh, and in the days before mobiles, it was like a phone call and a phone box. Yeah. Paul wants you to phone him. I thought, oh, great. It's, and Lee, it's about the young ones, you know. Can you be the warm-up? No, I will apart. <laughs> As it happens, I was in a couple of episodes. But. Yeah, in the episode Cash, right, you're the MC. Yeah. So what? how did that, did you have to audition for these ones or was it no. still the same sort of thing? In Work. fact, sorry to interrupt, I just remembered I, I got a part because I was warm-up because there's so many parts. They realised that they they'd forgotten a, a part. Oh, that, that the which one is a cash? Which cash. one played a MC? M yeah, I think it was that one because it's a tiny little bit. 
Yeah. And then well, they're you you're on hand and like quickly. Come on, it come was on. it was I mean rehearsals I think they realised that and then well he's around so as I remember and then there was was it Spaspec of the You're the peasant aren't you yeah yeah and Alexi breaks my arm and all that which was a f no so there was mm. come and do it yeah so even the episodes that you weren't in you, as you were the warm up for the second series as you were the warm up you were there for the whole recordings then yeah as this was the second series and there was a bit of a sense of this show is new and exciting. What was that like to be there watching it being recorded? Honestly, it was brilliant because there was so, and what was so admirable is that they tried to do as many stunts as they could in the studio. The, yeah. the one with the car coming through the wall and Rick, f f you know, flame on his back. And there's a bit, okay, you know, fill him while he, it's <laughs> extraordinary. And the audience go, I can't believe this is being done. It's so dangerous. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, you had bloody um, bands coming in and playing. You know, sometimes if they could play live, so yeah. they tried to record it as much as possible, chronologic. Yeah, they didn't do, as, they did as little pre-record as I remember as possible. Mm. Obviously some. So it was an extraordinary event. It was it was exciting because it was, uh, you know, it wasn't straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And then there were the puppets as well. I mean, it was a, were the puppets all done live as well or were they not No, I, in fact, to be fair, I don't think they were. And maybe if they could, they would. I, 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 I can't say with any conviction. Was there a lot of uh, raucous behaviour after filming? Uh, well, what you could do afterwards was go to the BBC bar and it was subsidised, so there's a, a drinking going on, but not really. I mean, forget not what I just said about Rick. He's he's basically shouldering this show yeah. with this extraordinary energy, and afterwards he's almost shaking with effort and, and drenched. You know, I, he, I think, it, you know, I don't remember him, probably the last thing he wanted to do was to... Uh, go out and get wrecked because mm. he's got another show and this is one a week yeah so yeah come monday he's got to go back and start rehearsing so i no, i don't remember any outrageous behavior at all mm. and i'm not just being paul, paul jackson told us that when hale and pace were around it sometimes got a little bit out of hand after the record and they they were in the episode you're in as as med they're in the medieval scenes I, where you're well, I'm, one I'm of probably, the i don't or... maybe i went home no <laughs> family i was a good boy i don't know I don't Consummate professional. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, Paul Jackson to mentioned he had a bit of a hangover one day, didn't he, on that set? But um, was it fun getting a hand in trashing the set on the young ones in the episode you were in at the, at the end? All of all of the kind of medieval, like, kind of storm it, and I mean the set gets trashed at pretty much the end of every episode. But um, was it? Do you have a memory of? I I don't any of I'm that. Sorry, no. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't. I just no, fair enough. Maybe I was getting. Me Costume off. I. I mean, I don't think I was part of that because once again, getting your cock out. <laughs> That's probably why they banned me. No, Lee. Stay. You can sort of spy you in the background um, as oh, the credits are rolling. Well, forgive but, me. Um, I mean, it sounds um being willfully ignorant, but I, I, I kind of don't. It's a fair that. while. It's a fair was while there, ago. Was there a sense at the time of how groundbreaking the young ones was? I mean, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think the idea was everything was thrown at it. You know, the stunts, the bands, no need for the bands at all. Yeah. Uh, and just pack everything into it humanly possible to so there's something for everybody. And it, and it worked. Yeah, I think there was definitely by that stage a head of steam with this new comedy, whatever you like to call it. And Rick's and Aid's talent. It was, mm. uh, and, of course, then they're bringing in for instance, orders are in it. Um, Stephen Marcus, the Oblivion Boys are in it. I mean, all you care to name. Ben's in some episodes, isn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah. he is. He's in the first episode and one of the later ones. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you look, he plays a little Grange Hill skit, doesn't he? Oh, he does yes. do a Grange Hill. Yes. This is a brilliant yes. little Grange Hill skit. The only yeah. kids who don't say yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say that it's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
yeah, so yeah, there's a list of all the all of us in those shows. Mm. So that it was like a, I suppose by that time it was, it was kind of not a community, but certainly there was this feeling that things were moving forward mm. that you could take control of. Uh, along with Paul Jackson and John Lloyd and all the new guys um, pushing stuff from behind, as it were. Do you watch series one go out? I did because you know all pals were in it and it yeah. was the new thing. And but I think I think again Paul Jackson did a great risk because it cause the BBC pretty stuffy I think at the time mm-hmm. uh, could have just gone oh no I don't think so and it, I I don't know what the crits were like at the time in yeah. the press. Well, Paul Jackson pretty much said if if the comic strip hadn't been happening on Channel 4 when it launched. The young ones probably wouldn't have gone beyond the pilot. But because they yeah. were on the launch show of mm. Channel 4, I think the BBC and then said, well, hang on, haven't we got all these people in the pilot? Made, Get it made. made. You know, The BBC suddenly had to pull their finger out because they'd sort of been a bit disparaging about the young ones pilot but then once they saw channel four have got these young talents doing something for them they said right commission this one absolutely makes total sense and cl- classic kind of um you know reaction rather than pro-action yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> For any listeners who aren't aware, Lee played a German guard alongside Mark Arden in Series 2 episode of Blackadder Chains, in which Edmund and Melchett are kidnapped and held prisoner. Lee also played Percy Shelley in the Blackadder the third episode, Incapability, a.k.a. the Samuel Johnson dictionary episode. And Lee played Private Fraser, a.k.a. one of the firing squad in Blackadder Goes fourth episode, Corporal Punishment. Are you proud to have played a part in three series of such a legendary sitcom, Lee? No, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Were you close with the cast and Ben Elton? Obviously, were you? Yeah, I kind of knew them all really. And, and again, it was um, with John Lloyd, great man. Yeah, I mean, they were all various people we knew on and off. <clears throat> knew Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie because don't forget they did. Perf- I'm sure they performed at the Comedy Store way, way back, or maybe the Comic Strip because they had their own TV series. Mm-hmm. Fry and Laurie, a didn't bit they? of Fry and Laurie, yeah, 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 a bit of Fry and Laurie. Yeah. So they were around. So was Blackadder were the jobs there? Were they all offers? Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do. I don't remember auditioning for them. I mean, you were, were you parts. written into it though? Was it you know no, they had you no, in no, mind? The character, or? I would get Lee to do that. I mean, mm. it would be a bit of a waste of time interviewing for three line characters. Mm. You know, I mean, no, I presume they saved that for more substantial parts although you know st- they did uh, steve did an interview for his ready aim fire as far as i know and um <laughs> and it was good fun it was the days when you did a week's rehearsal in the east acton studios this big kind of tower block and all the bbc stuff was going on there and it was very exciting so at lunchtime you know there were various people from shows comedies and dramas and it was a sense of for, for me mm. that this is a hub you know you are mm. lucky to be here and in, enjoy it and uh, I did Colin Sandwich you may remember with or maybe not with Mel Smith mm-hmm. and that was rehearsed then it was, it was great actually there was definitely a sense of uh, community of, of creativity and then the costume was just around the corner so you, you then went and got your costume and it was brilliant and uh, the episodes were great fun, particularly the one, the Shelley one, because Robbie Coltrane's just a complete laugh, you know. <laughs> it's brilliant. The story I tell about that is it's interesting, the two giants of comedy, you know, Rowan and uh, Robbie. And Rowan is very meticulous and particular and repetitive and wants it set straight to get it right, which is totally understandable. So in the first episode I did with Mark, the, the guards, German guards, we had to do a kind of march to I, five, blah, blah, blah. 
and he was never we never kind of got it right and i remember him coming up to us and going um do, do you think and i said rowan on the night lovey you know, <laughs> we'll be fine yeah you know, okay but with robbie he would sit at the table and tell stories and he's not showing off he's just funny mm. and people, and they'd say robbie c can we oh wait a minute and it'd, and he'd just enjoy the moment and he he was very much a feel it guy of, of, of getting his lines right and moving and but Ryan wanted it just so and so there was there wasn't a comic tension but they came from two different polar opposite ways of doing the same thing mm. on the night both brilliant mm. so yeah. you'd never know this opposite approach led to the same brilliant thing yeah is that uh, of the three Blackadder episodes you did is that the one that sort of stands out for you the most I think so yeah because we knew more people by then and yeah. had a little bit more to do and there's the wonderful Jim Sweeney and uh, all the others in it. So as well as uh, as well as Blackadder, you were also in a lot of our other favourite shows growing up. You played the bin men, refusing to clear up Richie Rich's uh, dead milkmen <laughs> in the pilot episode of Filthy Rich and Catflap. How did that come about? I think I was offered it. I, I honestly don't remember going to audition for it, but I may have done. What do you remember of, uh, do you remember anything of, of filming that at all? Yeah, yeah, you trying to catch me out. Do you remember anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> do you really? Oh dear, senior man. Nurse. Um. <laughs> I'll re-edit my question later. No, no, I don't care. I've got my cock out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great fun. Yeah. I mean, I only had one scene as I, you know, so you, when you had one scene and that wasn't, was that, I think that was pre-recorded. Right. I think. Was it, is it an actual, ex was it an exterior or was it, it was a set? It was a set. I can't. It's, but it's out. It's the bin is now concrete. It, it's set as an outside. Yeah, but sure. It was a set. Everything was a set as uh -huh. far as I know, because it's mostly that big kind of penthouse suite. So, uh, I mean, if you do a pre-record, you've done it a couple of days before, and you, and, you know, you're not needed for the the big day when they were showing, record it in front of an audience, as I remember. Yeah. So it was uh, it was good fun though. Yeah. Because Rick, you know, he's just great to work with. Got this manic energy. The one thing in um, Bottom is. Once when the episode, I think it was Doe, and he did have a, a mini crisis. He said, I remember him saying, God, you know, is it is it funny or anything? And it was me and, you know, Steve and uh, Chris saying, man, of course you are. What are you talking about? You know, yeah. which I thought was quite sweet, actually. Because you come, you know, he had, he had this confidence. But, you know, even he was sometimes a bit doubtful. Because mm. that was series three by, of course, that point mm. in Doe. So we'll... Was that a rare moment then from Rick yeah, I think to so. ask your opinion, or would he, he ask he just quite like, a lot? Just like, mm, yeah, maybe it was because it was in its in his mind running out of steam. I don't know, but no, it wasn't a big deal. But he was just he showed a bit of vulnerability, which is you know, Rick was always you know, life and soul and mm. great fun. Yeah, he presumably respected all of your opinions on what the script. I don't was. think so. He just said it. Was it. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. No, you know, I, I thought that was, that was sweet. Yeah, I think that's a good moment to move on to bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we're all here. When when did you first see the script for Bottom Smells? Do you remember getting the getting the Just script said, in? Were you asked to do the part again? Or yeah, I think so. God, I bet people say no. He had to audition against <laughs> ten others, and he was lucky to get it. When you first received that uh, script. There was no indication that your character was going to be was going to go on to be called Dick Head, was there? It was just Dick the Barman, right? Oh no, actually, now you remember, I seem to remember that. Yeah, I was I, either I met Rick or was Paul Jackson. They said, "Oh, we've got a recurring character for you." You know, I thought, "Ooh, great!" 
uh, it turned out to be three episodes, you know, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah immediate visions of, ha I mean, every episode and yeah. whatever, but you know, I'm quite happy with what I did, but with no commitment necessarily. Yeah. So that was just the first you know, appearance of him. And then, you know, I mean, the pub, in a sense, is, is a good background for his character, you know, because mm. he's such an idiot. Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of drinking, because he's acting like an underage boy, not only just the sex, but being in a pub and behaving mm. badly, it would be quite acceptable in that character's universe yeah you know which it was for you know, underage drinkers as we all were uh, and so they needed a barman uh i what thought i always thought they might have chosen somebody taller like clive mantle who was <laughs> right. in one yeah i think at one point i was on a box yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, what did you think when you received the script you know uh, as this would it was coming from the people who had been in the young ones then done filthy rich so there's sort of a bit of a a through line there of them growing up but also there's a bit of a legacy of the young ones when you receive this script for bottom coming through and you're reading it what do you you know what are you what are you sort of thinking when you're reading it well you don't as an actor you leaf through and find your own part and then right, put it right. away and learn that and don't yep. worry no no, 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 no. <laughs> no no i did read it and thought you know because it's a crazy script i mean if you give that to just two actors yeah you can't possibly imagine how they're gonna make this work because it is so unique and extreme if you like mm. and you know you've got visual comedy and hitting each other you wouldn't know what to make of it really or how to play it yeah other than if it was Rick and A because they wrote it for themselves so I could see what it was likely to be because as you say all the elements had been in the young ones and his character and that kind of sort of almost like incel <laughs> yeah. yeah yes yes before we had the, that word yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. word virgin like makes me think yeah. of yeah, Richie. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he just unable to manage his own life because of his, you know, in, inadequacies. Did Did Rick and Aid ever give you any input on how to play the role as they were the writers, or did they did they just leave that to Ed by? Uh, yeah, I think Rick? so. Yeah. No, I didn't say all lead. Rowan would do a bit of that. Oh, really? Yeah, fine. So, so look, how about which is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, because his bloody show. But it was never a ticking. It was always an an advice thing. Mm. Like yeah. I said, when he said, "Well, could you, you know, I want to." Can you get that right, please? You know. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> to widen him up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> got such a wonderful, like, scour, sour face on you when you're playing that part. It's it's not like we're meeting the real you, how amenable and happy you are. It's, it's a real subtle performance, I, I'd say. And um, it's a status thing as well, isn't it? Them just by default being the barman. Yeah. Isn't it weird that... It, um, do you get stuff quoted at you often like one of the most recurring things two pints of mild and half pint glasses people trying to shout all the uh, drinks no, from you I'm and not, stuff do you know no i think i'm not really recognized much anymore i'm you know, that much older only at your conventions and quizzes obviously and people know then they'll they'll quote it but it ne not so much in the street not mm. shouted out at all or mm. anything like that because it wasn't exactly a, a catchphrase as such well for, i mean for anyone listening that we we obviously all met at a bottom pub quiz that i organized back in 2012 and you very kindly were the quiz master at that and just seeing the the fans reaction to you in the room and just the delight and you know obviously just calling you dickhead is is enough of a delight <laughs> for yeah, most yeah, people yeah. but getting photos and talking with you how did how did you feel about that affection that was kind of coming from fans in the room and, and obviously at the rick mail convention after rick had passed away it feels all the more special now, I think. Yeah, to very much celebrate so. I mean, the show. I, uh, having I actually saw the bottom episode last night, which I hadn't seen for ages, and forgot forgot how much I'd 
I was in it actually, which was mm -hmm. nice. And yeah, I'm quite pleased with that performance actually. You know, getting on top of it and playing. Mm -hmm. You know, because you've got to match up to other performers. You you can't yeah. do anything timid unless the character is timid that you're playing. You 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 own that part and you've got to do that part. I think you, sh you, you it's easy to be intimidated, I suppose. But I wasn't because I knew them all, and there wasn't. You know, he wasn't. Yeah. As famous as he as he became, anyway, and I and I knew I could do it, and they could. So it's all like a community spirit. Just how do you feel about fans' reaction? Obviously, yeah, still yeah. having that it was affection. Wonderful. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I was quite surprised because they were queuing up and all this, and yeah, very touched. I mean, it is surprising because it was made so long ago, and uh, and for a lot of people, they, they it was never they never saw it at the time. You know, mm. much later. So it has that kind of longevity and it's nice to be adored isn't it yeah. i don't know we wouldn't know yeah <laughs> so 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 you, you never have people yelling dickhead at you in the street no uh, before you had the role <laughs> yes yeah. yes they did. um yes. so i i just imagine that the filming of bottom would normally be kind of an intimate thing as it's normally very small numbers of characters per episode the exception being parade which has the biggest cast that they ever have. So did you feel a difference in that episode? So was that more of a kind of a party thing? Was Did that feel like a different show than the other two episodes you did? Yeah, in a way, yeah, because it was, yeah, the, 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 it was a smaller cast. And although it, in the, in the um, quiz, there was, there were quite a few people, weren't there? Mm. Quite a lot of extras, I suppose. Yeah. 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 All dying. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> who came in later, you know, but yeah, that's actually the, the episode when Rick did say that kind of vulnerable thing, I think it's because we we were the only people in that show effectively at that time for that episode, as exactly as you're saying. Yeah, it felt very intimate. It did, yeah. Even though, you know, there's the same number of studio audience, which is several hundred, and they're all, you know, can't wait to see Rick. I mean, the great thing with Rick is that and they, they'd come out and mess around with the audience. And one of the biggest surprises for me about that show was you know young kids uh, way back, and then come Christmas there was this check dropped. Through, well, the agent said you know, there's like nearly twenty grand, and this is a long time ago. And I said there's a mistake. I've never earned that as one fee. Yeah. And he said no, it's the outtakes of Bottom <laughs> on video. Yeah. And it was called Fluff. Bottom Fluff. Fluff. Yeah. And I said no, that's nonsense. I'm, I don't remember being it. They I never signed anything for it, but I guess you sign away yeah. the original. So I ran to Woolworths, can you believe? Yeah. I just go literally. It was before Christmas, shaking. Put it in, and I'm just wiping a glass in the background. And <laughs> Helen's in it as well. Helen Levin. Yeah. That one. A couple because you know he wow. was great. If he fucked up, uh, Rick, he didn't go into himself. He'd just throw it to the audience and mess around. And they realised that messing around with the audience was a great way to keep it all mm. alive and energetic. Yeah. You know, now I think they design in outtakes almost. But this was very much, he was, he had a relationship with the audience. And talking to the audience really kept it very intimate and uh, all flowing. But anyway, they he, he would fuck up. And then they kept the outtakes, thank God they did. And then... Yeah. Yeah, I love, what, thought, love watching bottom fluff. Um, yeah. Because as you say, they really made a meal out of, yeah. <laughs> if they did mess up, it was part of the joy of it. Did you see a difference between series one being recorded, obviously people didn't really know what bottom was, to obviously series three where there was real effect, fan affection in the room, yeah, was, you, were they you, a bit more rowdy by the... Yeah, I mean, just tickets went like yeah. hotcakes and, you know, it was a thing to see and to have been too, you know, like a lot of the classic sitcoms. Um yeah, so, uh, but I've always thought, well, if I got that, what did they get? You know, <laughs> and good luck to them. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. So that was 
That was a nice spin-off for me. It was a show that was very well known for its physical uh, and almost sort of cartoon violence kind of humour. Did you ever wish that Dick had at least had one fight maybe with Richie or anything like that? You, yeah, that, you had an opportunity to twat him around the face or something. That would have been good. That, yeah. that would have been, yeah, I'd, I'd have gone for that. <laughs> Do you remember what, the most sort of elaborate kind of stunt or anything that they did that you were there for? Because the show had things like, a bit like the young ones, they had things like things crashing down through the studio yeah, yeah. Uh, ceiling and people running through through walls and that kind of thing. What was the most elaborate thing you ever saw? Well, I suppose it was that electrical stunt with the and uh, the quiz when they yeah. explode and they fall. You know, I mean that had to be seriously controlled because yeah. you can see it. It's an actual flash yeah. that could have gone off in anybody's face. I mean, I wasn't anywhere near it, but I, at the time, it was like, oh my god! And they did it three times, of course. Mm. Was there? You may remind me. I was in an episode, a very short scene with uh, when it was Julie Sawallo who was mine. That's yep. right. And it was yeah. um, it Great. was but. Robert Llewellyn. Yeah, did his leg come off? Yes, yeah. he had a wooden yeah. leg. <laughs> yeah, but didn't they rip it they, off? Yes, yeah. they break his... They try yeah. and pull the wrong leg off. Yeah, and that, yeah. That, that was that was a pretty good stunt. I mm. You mentioned the uh, the bottom fluffs and how sometimes performers do actually work them in genuinely uh, to work an audience. Rick and Aid would sometimes in the live shows that they did, the live tours they did of Bottom, deliberately write into the script fluffs that the audience would then feel like they were in on the joke uh, because they think it was a unique thing. Did you ever see any of their live shows? Uh, that they, that no, they I did? think I saw a recording of one. And uh, again, just the energy. Uh, I think I'd, mm. I'd have a heart attack. It's like two hours of that. Kind yeah, of it was extraordinary, extraordinary a, 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 effort. A lot of a lot of fighting and stunts to do live on stage live. in one go. And if yeah. you get it wrong, and I'm yeah. sure they must have been full of bruises, because it looks it looks easy that stuff, but it is not. Yeah, they make it look easy. Yeah, if you're doing that, okay. There's the you know if you want to pretend you're holding someone's head, they you hold you know you hold their hand. Yeah, but then you, you're whacking your head like in that um, one the uh, quiz one he's banging his head up mm -hmm. you don't have to well, get smashing his teeth out on the front there, yeah. you have a really good performance for that where you just sort of <laughs> grimacely just sort of turn away a little bit but yeah, like, it's like oh I've seen this all before it's like oh <laughs> again yeah. this again that has to hurt yeah, yeah. Oh, it, but you don't but you, you don't yeah, bar him yeah. like don't do that it's like oh yeah well give me the gold teeth yeah 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 no it's good it a lovely little character but I was very lucky I didn't do any improvising or suggesting of line that was what i was you know they, they gave me to do so it's all down to them the voice for dickhead though did you come out with that accent well i kind of like yeah because i am a west london originally so yeah, yeah a bit of a cool blimey does it does it surprise you that 30 years later people are still watching bottom quoting it dressing up as the characters and even some dickheads are doing podcasts and writing books about it uh no because it makes me happy and no, no. Makes you happy. no i mean in the end you know you think well, there are, a friend of mine uh, is part of a, a Lauren Hardy fan club in battle, and they're all over the world, called Sons of the Desert. Is that the one where they wear um, the, fezzes? Yeah. Yeah, which is like a they, deep reference because people, oh, it's a Tommy Cooper thing. No, that's the... Yeah, Sons of the Desert was the film, in which, and there's conventions, and I, I'd go like, I mean, how, how long ago was that? Yeah. So good comedy and good creative art or any in any way is is has has legs yeah yeah why do you think bottom endures so much with people it's a slight surprise because as i say seeing it last night was oh god i forgot you know that is very crude very out of kilter if you like with now yeah which is no criticism of then or now and would that and i thought to myself as a question i asked would that be made again 
in that same way. I, I don't know. Um, Do you think that's because sensibilities are different and it's uh, it's kind of of its time? Comedy sort of moves on and morality, uh, perceived morality moves on, therefore jokes change. Uh, as much as, as, as the morality of it, because he's an idiot, you know. Yeah. I mean, the thing like with Faulty Towers, the great British characters and Hancock, they're, they're, they're inflated egos. They're, they're fools who think they are more than they are. Mm. And so they're always knocked down that's the whole joke yeah and it's the joke of faulty and it's the joke of um of bottom really yeah you know, so he never wins he yeah. never ever wins and richie and eddie are deeply flawed yeah. characters they never win you they aren't win celebrating yeah. you aren't celebrating richie no. and eddie in their approach you're you're sort of feeling for them because they're so pitifully yeah inadequate <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, so they win. i think it would get commissioned now if, if it was done in such a way because it you're on the right side of the humour, I think, even in, in the crudeness and, you know, yeah. the, the jokes about the birds and trying to look at their skirts and all that. You know, it's not like you're saying that's OK. It is that you're looking down and saying, no, it's yeah. not it's not OK that Eddie and Richie are doing that. But you're laughing because it's so outrageous and it isn't yeah, so it isn't stupid. what you should do in social convention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might tone it down a bit, but um, yeah, sure. and, you know, damn well, neither of them is are ever going to get their leg over which is mm. which yeah is they're never going to win mm. that it would mean that is a successful way of mm. even in its own surreal terms that it would somehow be valid but, but we know it's not he's just sort of surprised <laughs> all this that tits and the, is that, i think what it is is that you know i think it was just that's what rick liked doing you know mm. he i was just so, actually talking to someone else about you know, he had such a talent of all the things he did. And did, he, he did try to make it in America. He did drop dead. He did drop dead Fred. Bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a feeling that he just liked doing what he liked to do, yeah. really, yeah. rather than have an ambition way beyond that to do Shakespeare yeah. or you know, in brilliant. As he could have done any of it, couldn't he? He, he could have. Brilliant like a lot of other actors have. I mean, Lenny, you know, has all gone into all serious acting and done yeah. really well at it. But he did plays, didn't he? He did, but he did he, some plays as well, yeah. Absolutely. That one. Did you ever watch Waiting for Godot when no. Rick and Aid were in that? No. Did you? Did you? We were, no, I was too young, okay. sadly. I do wonder, sorry, just to talk about whether it would be made today. A lot of the episodes have very physical aspects of comedy. A lot of them have a lot of physical comedy in them. Um, and you don't really get a lot of physical comedy, especially in sitcoms now, and especially to the level of stunts and perceived violence. I wonder if there would be a sort of health and safety hang up of well you know we can't drop a piano through the ceiling of the of the studio we can't have these um fights in a studio you know uh, we'd need to spend a week filming them with a fight choreographer or that kind of thing and in that regard maybe you wouldn't have bottom wouldn't be able to be, be made today because they wouldn't allow a lot of those things and it, and possibly the only way you could do that you could do it now would be to animate it maybe yeah. maybe know. yeah mm. i think th th there's certainly all of those aspects uh cost as well um, yeah you know that don't don't think these stunts were just <laughs> thrown together there were stunt coordinators yeah. who knew their job inside out and bbc were the best at it and it was done with as much safety as possible you know absolutely but it was still extremely risky yeah, yeah. particularly of the stars doing their own stunts um it's rare you know you think of old crews and all the rest of it yeah i think actually what separates thinking about it bottom apart and will always be unique is is the violence you know is is the physical comedy of it you know he is a physical comedian yeah. and you're right nobody else is doing it even if it's perceived to be physical comedy um you know it's not really like they're those well i'm afraid i don't really like them the shows the shows what go wrong and all that you know mm. really overstaged yeah oops a mistake you know yeah. i guess with the washer where we we deliberately went made things go wrong and not not in terms of massive stunts but certainly in 
what was happening on stage. And there was it was mock violence and kicking the box mm. and mm. all these kind of things that, um, yeah, they're, they're, you're right, there's very little of that. I think that's the bottom line. There aren't performers that seem seemingly maybe there are out there, but there aren't the bold the bold yeah. decision well, to write a show right. like Bottom but, doesn't seem to be what what maybe it's the commissioners aren't backing them. Yeah, but well, I think there just there. aren't another Rick and Aid out there. But what well, would think, you do? Just repeat it? You can't top that. No. But you can, well, I you, mean, the idea is just the the theme of yeah. a, a physical you know, knockabout violent comedy. I suppose yeah. were there some in Harry Enfield's show? There was. A little bit. There's a little bit of Vic and Bob stuff Vic as well. Bob. Vic and Bob, very similar in a way mm. of that kind of cod violence. But um, I think you touched upon it earlier when you said people almost look down their nose at it yeah. for some strange reason in in British comedy. I I have many an argument with people who say, "Oh, bottoms just slapstick," mm. and I want That's to fantastic. I want to punch them in the face because that isn't a, <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't be a criticism. Take it, that. It's perfect slapstick and it is so inherently funny. You don't, and then on top, there's a fantastic script. Yeah. So they did it all yeah. to perfection, which is obviously why we're so passionate about talking about Bottom. The only other things you could compare it to are the things that Rick and Ada also done. So they, they kind of carved out their own sort of subgenre in that regard. Yeah. I mean, if you think of early Hancock. Mm. He was a man trapped in flat with Sid James. You know, yeah. just couldn't get on. It's the classic uh, or odd couple. Or Steptoe and Son. Or, Steptoe uh, and yeah. Son, which yeah. was a you know uh, a derivation of that. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's uh, you know the couple who or a married couple mm. who just can't seem to get on. Even um, uh, Colin Sandwich. You know, like you, you yeah. sort of you see Mel Smith in the office with yourself um, and the other chap. I can't Tony remember. Tony Harzer. Yeah. Um, it doesn't want to be there, being given jobs he doesn't want to do. It's that sort of thing of I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. Uh, I'm and, better than this. Yeah, there's always that aspiration for it's sort of lower middle class aspiration towards something else, isn't it? Yeah, you I, see with Faulty and Alan Partridge and yeah, David Brent, and absolutely, yeah. and it's very that's not peculiarly British, but largely British. The mm. you know the the downtrodden man of you know who thinks he's better than he is. I mean, you know, yeah. there's a direct similarity between Hancock and Brent in a way. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. just different amplifications. Yeah, and it's it's a kind of a trope, if you like, that is very common in British comedy. You know, the, the bloke who's Better than he should, thinks he should be the yeah, major, not yeah. the not the infantry kind of thing, mm. uh, and it's it's ripe and funny, and that that, that goes on with Rick uh, and You're saying about actually other, sorry to go back on comedy heroes. The other one for me was uh, obviously Buster Keaton. You know, and he, mm -hmm. you know, think wow, and there there is an art artist doing mm. slapstick, if you like, and there's nothing wrong with slapstick and most of it. The other thing is maybe is that. You know, we're all floundering. Well, we weren't floundering around. We we're all doing what we did in those days, and it happened to lead to wherever it led. Now there's, let's face it, a pretty polished career path, mm -hmm. which could lead you to the Apollo, mm. with the smoke coming out and you grabbing the mic and saying hi everybody and doing a list of jokes. You know, I mean, there are still very, very good physical acts out there, but I think it is more wordplay and it's stand -up. Pe People prefer to watch that now and there's a realism I think that people have shifted towards you know with David Brent being a very real character on yeah. on screen isn't it there isn't that cartoon element anymore that people seem to want to go for but yeah. maybe it will come back round well I do I also think that what is very successful is the list of stand-up acts I'm not decrying them you know it's mm. I mean what did for this um, comedy sort to a certain extent is that it just act after bloke after bloke mostly saying the same kind yeah. of things and there were some nights when it was like wading through mud it, yeah i mean don't think it was an exciting cutting edge time no it, it was a, it was a hard graft of getting through the evening quite often you know mm. and they're not a great deal of audience it was hot and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing there's some memorable moments but uh, you know it was 
it almost became a job, mm. which is kind of why I drifted off it a bit because I, I prefer to do other things as well. Who do you enjoy watching now? You know, comedy wise. I can't remember the name. There's some, they're all they're all brilliant. You know, I mean, the thing is, what they've got is the technique. Yeah. You know, yeah. you you could if you if you as I say, if you want it and you look good and you're confident, you'll you're probably eighty percent there. You know, mm. but you know, you obviously need material to back it up. Gonna put you on the spot a little bit and do a little bit of uh, character diving of of Dickhead. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you didn't write the part, but you're here. You you embodied the character. We know a little bit about his life. We know he's got a niece. So he had a trial for QPR. Les Ferdinand decked him. Are you going to ask all the wrong end? <laughs> yeah, you're not. He got obviously a little bit mobbed up as well, wasn't he? Because he's he was in bed financially with uh, Skullcrusher Henderson, who was that who was give, funding the money that was for the. Yeah. So he's there, corrupt, you know, right? yeah, there's something. And yeah, can you tell? Is there any things you were thinking about with the character? That, did he own that pub? Did he have any other things going on? Do, do you know what, what was his life like in your mind? He's obviously had a wife who's obviously left him years ago. <laughs> but the thing that was in that thing, he said, is that a guard's tie? Yeah. Was he in the guards? Or he said, what, what did I say? Yeah. But the idea that Dickhead was in the guards. Yeah. Mm. He's, he's stolen he's, it off a body somewhere, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's <laughs> that's strange. Yeah, he's a child, because he did say, get down upon there with the... Um, the uh, absinthe, you know, the came mm -hmm. up down the road. He, yeah, he's just making money for himself and uh, any way he can. Uh, but yeah, he did. He has the tie. I think he has. He's, he's probably got a resentful kids somewhere, and uh, he's a lonely, lonely little man. Hmm. But yeah, he enjoys lording it over Richie and Eddie to a certain extent, doesn't he? You know, also, it's the idea it. that every time he come in, it's the same thing. But yeah. it's like like great comedy is repeat, repeat, repeat. Isn't it? Yeah. So he doesn't ban them. He, yeah. They come straight back. And yeah. They eventually pay. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> out of out of all the characters that you've played, which one comes to mind as your favourite? In the in all of those in sitcoms, everything that you've done. Well, I think it's got to be Dickhead. I think yeah. really because yeah. there was enough to get your teeth into in yeah. that particular episode, and you know it was yeah. Not Mister Hankin in Grange Hill. Oh well. That I thought you meant in sitcoms, yeah. Oh, well, that was great, yeah. I mean, yeah, because you were you were in that role for quite a long time, weren't you? It's over ten years, yeah. It's over a hundred episodes. Mm -hmm. It was. Um, Do you get more people recognising you for that? Not anymore. I mean, no. it's long gone. Although <laughs> I took my grandchild to uh, school, I've been taking him, and uh, one of the mums. I thought she's very deferential and. <laughs> Yeah, you were Mr. Hanky, weren't you, in Great Hill? <laughs> she remember, grew up with me. I mean, she's in the 30s, and it's like, wow, you know, here's yeah. Mr. Hankin. Oh, I was very proud of that role because, to brag a bit, they they apparently did ask Canvas kids at the end of each about what you thought about the teachers, you know, to Hankin. And he was always, apparently, I was told, he's one of the most popular because he's that sap mm -hmm. and very much... Uh, well, they came in for criticism once. It was like, you know, I think there was a science body that was saying, it, we're fed up with, like, scientists being, like, nerdy, white coats. <laughs> Idiot. Well, not idiots, but, you know. But my science teacher was like him, Mr. Norbury. Come mm. on, lad, you know. <laughs> and that was what the character required. Yeah. And... Uh, Mr. Hankin had an interesting ending, didn't he? According to your YouTube channel, you did a brilliant sketch on yeah. there for anyone who hasn't looked it up on Lee Corn's comedy. Oh on yeah, YouTube. yeah. You, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it I've, for I've anyone. It. Yeah, I watched it last night. I thought yeah. it, I thought it was a, a brilliant fitting ending for Mr. Hankin. Yeah. yeah. No, How did that come to you? Did you were you just kind of playing around with what? Yeah, it's messing around. <laughs> Why not? You know, I th I think what it was was going through some tapes, and there was 
Oh, God, it was some like old Grange Hill tapes, you know. I thought, oh, we've got to use that. The poor old bastard's just watching himself. <laughs> and he's, I love that he's, like, dissecting a brain or something in it, isn't he? Yeah, like... uh, there's, yeah, no, it was lungs. The, lungs. Yeah, it was smoking. The one thing I missed was that, he, you know, because he's a heroin addict, yeah. was, you know, you slap me with... I didn't go... <laughs> That's what I missed. <laughs> no, I was very, very fond of that character. And uh, it was quite ironic because the interview, which was held at Elstree, uh, when I turned up, and that was a proper audition, mm. it was a reasonable part, um, they said, oh, it's quite interesting this because it's for a science teacher and I am a science teacher. And they went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, my teaching practice was just around the corner in Radlett at... Uh, I think it's Nicholas Hawksmore Hawks school went. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've got a liar here. You know, <laughs> the guy, yeah, I can ride a horse, you know, all that kind of thing. Said, no, actually, it's true. I've got, you know, I did teach and yeah. well, I have taught much, you know, across over the years. So, anyway, when it all passed, I got the part and the rest of it that sometimes they would get ready for an, a scene and they'd forgotten to do anything on the blackboard. I mean, it's supposed to be a class, you know. Yeah. Lee. <laughs> chemical formula <laughs> biology drawing because I could do it and it was all valid you know <laughs> and I would say no that's that's not I'm rarely yeah. that's not quite right you would you'd say it in another way <laughs> so they had a bit of ownership of that were you, art imitating life yeah were you doing is it right you were doing some supply teaching around the same time that you were actually um oh doing yeah Green Chill as well yeah there's some good stories about that which is because I did a lot of I've done a lot of teaching for EBD kids, special needs and secondary um, and, you know, because it wasn't always acting. Also, I enjoyed teaching, but uh, usually the supply teacher gets lumped with the class who are less able than others. And mm. this particular school, and I was in the science lab and in a white coat with glasses. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was the day after the, the uh, show had been on. And there's a kid who's just like double taking. You know, <laughs> <the time. laughs> yeah, like not not you know not the cleverest lad and he's got any closest uh, is this grain jill then <laughs> if you somehow thought <laughs> like, this was some milk. Am, am i still me yeah <laughs> that would that would make me do a double take though i think if i'd gone yeah to well it was uh, but the great thing with schools and kids and you, the moment you start puffing up they'll bring you down after a while it was oh it's that bloke off the telly i saw yeah. you last night sir that was it, you know. I mean, what are they going to do? They're not, it's not worship or anything. Mm. One of the best ones was this big lad who did a bit of trouble with, and he opened the door for me, you know, his self swing doors. He said, Oh, sir, saw in Grange Hill last night. I went, Oh, great, how was it? He said, It was all right, and let the door go. Right <laughs> <there>. <laughs> yeah. Have you always preferred performing to writing then, or have you got pros and cons for? Uh, no, age? definitely performing mm. in, in a group, yeah. Mm. Yeah, nothing, nothing comes close to me. The Wow Show, because on stage we're mm. absolutely liberated, you know. How did how did writing uh, the Mr Bean animated series come about? Um, Robin Driscoll, who was a member of Cliffhanger from Brighton, if you ever saw, they had a TV series. A very great writer and a friend of mine. He was invited way back to write and is in, he's an actor as well, mm. the actual live action Mr Bean's. And so when they wanted to switch it to, you know, to then go to animation, they needed writers. And he, he recommended Tony Hauser and myself, and we both got work on it. So mm. it comes directly through Robin Driscoll. And I guess it helped that Rowan knew who I was because I'd yeah. worked with him on Blackadder. I guess he gave the final was that, rubber stamp. Was that a challenge? Yeah, you? yes. It's a real eye-opener. So 
you could write in bottom, let's say, live action, uh, Richie uh, goes into the room and throws a chair. Mm. Animation. Richie walks four paces up to the door, uses his left hand to turn mm. the handle. To the left. the uh, door opens three quarters. He takes five paces in, looks up, looks looks left, then looks right. He picks up the chair with his right hand. His left. I mean, this is just, it's not even that. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. everything is... And the reason is, is to, to not let the animators think, oh, I can do this. There. Right. You have yeah. to really button, nail it down. And it was a very exacting and well-paid job. Totally fascinating, totally eye-opening. Mm -hmm. And then then it was handed to the guys who do the sketches, you know, the storyboarding. Big, massive thing. Yeah. And then we'd all sit around, the writer and Rowan and the producers and directors. And it was uh, Claudia Lloyd. And go through it picture by picture well, we need to see there so that then that was the text if mm. you like that went to yeah. the animators which was aboard extraordinary detail mm. you know you have, yeah you can't say oh yeah, there's an explosion what kind of explosion right against what what color you know where where, where does it happen how big yeah how long i mean i'm just making that yeah. up no ad living the is there you write it you write the picture mm. yeah and there's a lot of them to write. <laughs> and are you still writing any any projects you can tell us about coming no, up? No, 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 no. I, I, I kind of wouldn't. I don't know. I'm just getting lazier and lazier. I said I wrote the book, so I might try and mm -hmm. get that self-published. But uh, tell us a little bit about the book then. I think it's it's probably the wrong time to have written this. It's a totally unique idea. It's about time travel. Mm -hmm. It's never been done. <laughs> 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 <Right>. <laughs> But it's basically watch out what you wish for, really. And he commits an historical event by by being. Okay. In you know wanting to find a paradise, which is a classic you know, even spoiled thing. Mm. Obviously, not writing a time travel book. We're writing a book about bottom, but mm. um, yeah. that that sounds fascinating. The other thing I ha did write is a children's poem, which my I hope my son to illustrate. He is an illustrator, and I, I would definitely want to get that self published. Fantastic. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, we've been enjoying watching a bit of your Brian Mayhew characters. There's such a dark and random undercurrent to all of your sketches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that is that where you like to get your laughs from? Sort of yeah. the shock, like, you know, laughs rather than word play as such. Very much so. I mean, one of the, the routines I was kind of known for was about, well, it extended to about five minute and a monologue at the interval as a compare, which would go, and I can't, I'm not going to do it because it's, I can't remember it all, but it would start off, look, hey, now, you know, it's the interval now, so you're here for a laugh, but, you know, you, you want to meet someone, you want to get lady, I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> so what I suggest, why, look, why don't you just go meet someone, you know, we're all a bit shy, say someone hi, come on, have, have a drink. They might say yes, you know, come and drink, go back to your place. You know, have a night of passionate but not unnatural sex. I'll fucking go for it anyway. <laughs> and then the next morning, you know, don't bleed, don't, don't, don't say please, don't beg. And then it goes on and on, getting married. But it, the whole thing is a disaster. <laughs> so they're death, <laughs> and it's a dark and nasty mm. piece of monologue, <laughs> which I'm inordinately proud. And it started off saying, you know, get find someone in the interval, go and get laid, have fun, <laughs> and then so what? But it just became this horrible. Nasty. You know. That's the perfect way to make everyone get a drink at the bar in the interval, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I love doing it because you can see people go squirming. And then the worst of it was one bloke, it, it was at the tunnel, the bar, and there was someone, he said, That's my life, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, mate. <laughs> 
heard that bit to me. <laughs> Lee, thank you very much for joining us yeah, here today. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure and an honour, and thank you. Yeah, it really has actually dug up some memories that, you know, laid long dormant. So uh, it's nice to see stuff still out there and that people are enjoying the work, you know. Mm. But I'm only really a parasite on all those shows. I'm <laughs> coming in and doing your bit and piss off. You know, the writers and the directors and all the, you know, the guys with the uh, engine. Rick was, you know, Rick and Aid, yeah. Mm. I mean, and, and if Aid, if you hear this, could you please come in here and treat these nice people to a monologue and a chat, please? Thank you. We would certainly <laughs> love to. Kick him out there, please. <laughs> we would certainly love to have Aid on. But it's been a pleasure talking to you, Lee. It's um, really great just to chat about everything that you've done. You've got such a back catalogue. Like I say, you pop up in pretty much every single show yeah, that we love. Yeah. Um, and it. It, just a testament There's to the the time that you were doing your best work. And, lucky you know, me, you know. Yeah. In the end, who's the lucky one? I was, and uh, and it's uh, an honour to be here. And thanks, and good luck with all the projects that you've got going. You know, keep, thank you. Can you know, we have a quote about, about the book before it's even out? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and if you want me to, yeah, you want any more information that I can't remember? <laughs> okay. Is it is it right if we just make stuff up and get you to okay? Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you yeah. very much. Long, dark and nasty. <laughs>